Hello and welcome to Lost in Sci-Fi and Fantasy. I'm your host, Leo, and today we're talking about something that we weren't supposed to this week. We're talking about Clash of the Titans. Now, what do you mean you weren't supposed to talk about it? I don't know if I said in any of the previous episodes, like 65 or anything, but the intent was that this episode was going to be book two of Avatar The Last Airbender earth but similarly to some some sad news or some annoying news i guess you could say about the challenge so too comes the news that i did not get a chance to actually properly watch avatar the last airbender season two so that will have to be delayed until next week in which i will then have this entire week to watch it I already have some plans about how I can talk about it and whatnot, so it's coming together a bit, but I do actually have to watch it. <laughs> well, with that aside, I decided to do a quick kind of emergency episode, uh, something quick, something that I know a decent-ish amount about, and that is the original 1981 Clash of the Titans. So, uh, my history with this film is... Uh, I was sh shown it fairly young, and for the longest time, my main memory of the original Clash of the Titans film was mostly just the Medusa bit, and then the the Kraken bit, and that's it. All of which happens in like the last hour or so <laughs> of the film. It's fine. <laughs> but, yes, yeah, so not too long ago, like maybe... Three, four years ago, I guess you could say. Uh, I decided to watch it again. Just to actually properly watch it. Because, you know, I, I had seen the original. Then I saw the 2010 reboot or remake. Uh, and I didn't really like it. Then I saw Wrath of the Titans and don't even really remember it. Uh, so, so here we are. I will probably do a couple of mentions about the 2010 Clash of the Titans throughout this discussion. But for the most part, I will save most of my thoughts until I have a chance to actually properly re-watch the 2010 Clash of the Titans. Because as it currently stands, I haven't watched the 2010 Clash of the Titans in probably over 10 years. <laughs> I watched it around the time it came out, but otherwise I, I haven't seen it really since. Uh, yeah, so with that, we can kind of move on and start talking about the original Clash of the Titans. So it is based off of the story of Perseus. Uh, the, you know, in order to save the Princess Andromeda from the Kraken, he must slay Medusa and use her head to turn the Kraken to stone. That is the very basic plot of... Perseus you know he, I mean, he probably went on many more adventures besides that I don't know I haven't actually read the original myth itself personally I, I should really do that I, I I think it's in one of my books I'm not sure that I have but you know there, there are some things that I do at least know from other things and whatnot that shows that a lot of <laughs> A lot of the mythology within this is just kind of shaken up and tweaked a bit. For example, 
the major villain of this film, technically, uh, is the son of Thetis. I can't remember his name, but he's... For the heinous act of slaying all of Zeus's uh, magical horses with wings, magical flying horses, say for one, he is to be turned into a beast, which looks kind of like a satyr, but different-ish. Like, he has kind of normal feet, but a thick-ass tail. I, I don't know exactly what that is. But yeah, so that, that's one of the things that's kind of tweaked, is one, Thetis being so prominent, when technically in Greek mythology she's kind of, she's like a, mostly depicted as like a, a water spirit, or sometimes a goddess, but never, you know, not really chumming it up with the 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 main twelve of the the Olympians, you know. But she is kind of shown as one of the main twelve. And before we get into the the stuff with Thetis, let us kind of go back and talk about how the the movie opens. The movie opens with a bunch of Greek soldiers carrying a coffin and a woman holding a baby crying. And you kind of initially think, oh, maybe it's a funeral or something. But no, the uh, leader, the king that's with the retinue, is sentencing the woman, his daughter, to death. Now, he believes... That because she has given a, she's given birth to a child and is probably presumed that she either had the child out of wedlock or it's supposed to be some kind of, you know, Jesus situation where it's just like out of nowhere. But it is deemed by him as a, as him having potentially offended the gods in some ha in some way, so he is trying to clear his name by sacrificing her in the name of Zeus, uh, not knowing that the father of the child is Zeus. <laughs> so he sacrifices his daughter in the name of Zeus, sends her off uh, in in the coffin, floating away, uh, and then we kind of go in through a title sequence where we get all the actors and whatnot, and then. We kind of land in Olympus, where Poseidon, I guess, uh, was, was watching over uh, proceedings. He informs Zeus of what has happened, and Zeus, mad, uh, says, Okay, well, he has now done the thing, so we are going to punish him. We are going to send the Kraken to destroy the town. He tells Poseidon to, to do that, but also to ensure that the mother and the son make it safely to uh, peaceful lands. And he does. So Poseidon goes, opens the gate for the Kraken, the Kraken leaves. Um, for some reason, they call the Kraken the last of the titans. Um, it isn't. It, it's not a, it, it's just a big old monster. It's not a titan. But I guess for the title of this movie to work in some way, they need it to be called a titan. I guess. Uh, but anyway, he, he lets the titan out, and the titan destroys the town. It's actually a pretty cool sequence, besides some slightly janky 
um, uh, green screen, or I guess during this era, it would mostly be blue screen effects, which doesn't work terribly well at times. Anywho, so that that happens. And then Poseidon comes back, says, the town's destroyed, and the kid and his mom are safe. And Zeus is like, good. Let, let's, uh, let's just kind of montage now. So there's a little bit of a montage where the boy is growing up, and it'll then, like, pass over to the gods kind of talking, but, you know, you don't hear anything because it's, it's a montage. We watch the boy ride a horse. Uh, we watch him throw a fishing net. Uh, Zeus talks to Thetis. Then Zeus talks to someone else. And then the boy is grown. And he... Zeus has this, like, really cool, <laughs> like, thing where he... He has just, like, this wall of figurines that represent the people in the area. Like, I guess, prominent figures of the area... I guess. And like when he sent the Kraken to destroy the town, he took the figure of the king and just like crushed it. And the guy like died. And th this comes up later in a couple of places as like a thing. And it, it, it's interesting. But during this time, he's like, yay, my, my son's grown up. Look at how, how nice and, and lovely he is. Let me put him on my shelf. Then... Uh, Thetis comes in and is like, ah, oh, yes, lovely. But what of my son? And he's like, well, your son is a absolute douchebag. He slaughtered... He, he, he was given, like, stewardship over this land. And then he just slaughtered every fucking animal in it. And he slaughtered my sacred um, herd of horses. Um, save for one. And the entire time, she's kind of blandly begging him to, to show mercy, but, like, not actually begging, because the acting's a little bit stiff in this film, but I don't blame the actors, because it's a really good cast. Um, but, anywho, she keeps asking, like, you know, please, you know, forgive him, you know, he he's young or whatever. He's supposed to marry the princess Andromeda, and Zeus is like, I don't care. He killed my horses. So he takes the figure and he sets it in this like arena. And then he says he's going to become a grisly, gruesome beast. Uh, and no one will want to marry him. And you see like this animated sequence where it does transform into what what pretty much is like a satyr. But with, like, like I said, a thick-ass tail. And not like goat feet. But he has horns and like a... A face that you could probably like smash into a wall and it would be fine. Uh, but yeah, so with that, he Zeus just kind of is like, okay, matter done. So Thetis decides, okay, fine. If my son cannot marry the princess Andromeda, then no one can. I will then put like a little bit of a curse to where as long as my son is miserable. Uh, so shall Andromeda be. Then she goes over to Perseus, it's his little figure, and goes, okay, and it's time for you to see the world. And so she, like, takes him and sets him in the arena that, like, 
Zeus has as like a display thing, like when when they're like actually like trying to affect a specific like person, they'll set the figure in the little arena thing. But in this case, she actually like properly sets the real guy into the arena for some reason. He wakes up in the middle of the night to be greeted by a poet. I I didn't catch his name, but greeted by a poet who's kind of the mentor figure, kind of bringing him up to speed on what's happening because he's been stuck on an island for the past, I don't know, 20 odd years. So the poet kind of tells him like, hey, you know, this is probably what happened um, this is what's happening here. It kind of sucks here. Sorry that you were put here. But, you know, here's here's the skinny on what's going on. And then the, the poet kind of tries to set him up to, you know, look a bit more... A bit more princely. By pretty much just outfitting him in a costume. The thing is, I do love about the poet is that he, he lives in an abandoned, like, theater thing. Like, the arena, I said. He lives there with just a shit ton of cats. So, like, when he's trying to get the cloak for Perseus, he's just picking up kittens and just, like, tossing them aside. Because they're just all in this basket. He's like, get, move, shift, come on, get, go, go. It's adorable. But, but yeah, so then we cut to Zeus being like, okay, so you decided to just put my son in the middle of nowhere uh, with nothing. And she's like, what, you accuse me? And he's like, who else? Of course I'm accusing you. Fine. Fine. Okay, you, you, and you give him gifts. I believe it's Athena, Aphrodite, and Hera is who he deems them, to, says to give gifts. I believe he tells Aphrodite to give him a sword, uh, Hera to give him a shield, and Athena to give him a helmet. Then all of the uh, women goddesses just kind of hang back and they're just like, oh, geez, all for this woman. And one of them's like, oh, probably not the woman anymore because he probably forgot about her. But it's his pride and the sun and whatever. And then they, they just kind of have a good old laugh about Zeus being a horn dog. But the the ones that were ordered to give Perseus gifts do comply and provide him with the gifts. Perseus just kind of comes across them and knows that there's something. He's like, okay, sure. He grabs the sword. He's like, ooh, a sword. Then the poet comes out. It's like, oh, you got up with the sun. Weird. Uh, what's up with the sword? And he takes it and like he swings it and it cuts through Marvel. He's like, ah, it's a gift from the gods. Uh, and then Perseus is like, oh, yeah. Then there's also the shield and the, the helmet over there. And like, okay, well, you should probably figure out what those do. He's like, okay, I'll do it with the helmet. But then the shield goes, no, me, do the shield first. And he's like, okay. So he goes over to the shield, turns it around, and it's Zeus in a very, I want to say, a Jor-El from Superman way. He's like, you must find your destiny. Take these gifts from the gods and go find and fulfill your destiny. Bye. In, you know, not talking straight at all. It, it's a bit silly. But 
Then Perseus goes over to the helmet and he's like, okay, let's see. He puts the helmet on and he's like, am I invisible? And the poet's like, yeah, I can't see shit. He's like, cool. And then he just fucks off. He doesn't take the sword. He doesn't take the shield. He just stays invisible and leaves. And the poet's like, wait, where are you going? <laughs> and Perseus is like, I'm going to the city. And he's like, wait, what? No, you, you, so the sword. And then Perseus is just gone. And the thing is, like, as he's approaching the city, he just takes the helmet off anyway. I think he just wanted to wear it for some reason. But he gets to the city and finds that there's been a burning. Someone has been burned at the stake. He goes up to a guard and says, uh, what's all this? And he's like, what, you new around here? He's like, well, I'm new to these sites. He's like, well, that over there was a suitor to the princess. And he's like, you burn suitors at the stake? Or you burn royal suitors to the stake? He's like, uh, not royal. But, um, basically, there's been a curse placed on this town by uh, Thetis's son. And so we must, like, anyone who wants to court the princess must answer a riddle. And he's like, a riddle? That sounds short. And he's like, well... It's a different riddle every day, and those who hear the riddle um, never never uh, get to say what they heard because, well, we burned them at the stake, as we are instructed to do. And he's like, ah, okay, thanks, I guess. Uh, where's the princess? And he's like, oh, she's up in that tower. She's, she tries to distance herself from the proceedings. She doesn't like it, uh, but yeah. It, it's what she must do. And he's like, okay, cool. So then he goes down, looks at the burnt corpse, and then looks up at the tower and has an idea. That night, he sneaks upon her room using his invisibility helmet uh, and just kind of creeps on her. He just, he literally just like walks up to her bed and is like, damn, you're my destiny, Andromeda. Uh, and then at that Point, a giant fucking vulture brings a cage, drops it on her balcony, and uh, he keeps squawking at her until her soul is rent from her body and goes to the cage. Uh, in, at which point, the vulture then picks up the cage and takes it away. Uh, then Perseus consults and says, like, oh, you know, I must save Andromeda and whatnot. And the poet's like, ah, so you, you should probably follow that vulture to see see where it takes her. He's like, but how am I supposed to follow something that flies? And he's like, well, I mean, it's a long shot, but there is that horse that uh, of Zeus's that that's still around. So if you can catch him, you should be able to. And Perseus is like, sweet, let's do that. So they go, wait, invisibly, at least one of them invisibly, and then just takes a lasso, lassos the Pegasus. Uh, then, well, let's just... He gets the Pegasus. It's, it's a long scene of him trying to, like, rope it. Then he rides it for a bit, lands, gives it water, and then they have the Pegasus. Then they wait for a night in which the vulture returns. It dies. She goes into the cage, the vulture takes her, and then the Pegasus follows. Then we find um, Thetis' son's uh, lair, which is in a swamp. Uh... And we, f we find out that this is where she gets her riddles. She is brought there 
every so often or every night. We don't, we're not given a good sense of time or scale. But she's brought there. He talks to her, gives her a, a, a riddle for which they must be uh, given. Then she leaves and the next day gives the riddle. Or at least the next time she is uh, courted by a suitor, she gives the riddle. So, she leaves, and Perseus was also there, starts leaving, but he had the helmet on, but you see his footprints. Uh, that is his son, I think his name's Kybor or something like that, it's hard to remember his name, <laughs> but he notices, he then tracks Perseus out, while Perseus is looking for Pegasus, he gets jumped by, let's call him Kybor, why not, he gets jumped they struggle for a bit, and then Perseus cuts off his hand. Well, he, he swipes, and you think he might have killed him, but when he arrives next day to court the princess, um, he he shows that, oh, um, yeah, I, I spared his life on the condition that he lifts the curse on the town. Uh, and I took his hand. So that's how I know that the answer to the riddle is his ring. Boom. And he chucks the hand. Then all preparations for the wedding go forward. They're about to wed. Well, while they're doing a party, Kybor, I think his name is, comes in and prays to his mother and begs her, Please, mother, please let me get justice for them taking my hand. And she's like, Yes, so he's protected by Zeus. I can't do shit. And he's like, Please, oh please. You know... If not him, the people he loves, Andromeda and her mother, Calliope. And he's like, please give me justice. And she's like, justice or just revenge? And then that scene ends. Then we cut to the wedding, being held in Thetis' temple. And they, they're they going through the wedding ceremony. Everything's going nice. And they're just about to hit the thing, the, the, like, the last bit. When Calliope either compares her or her daughter's beauty to being greater than Thetis's. Now, th that's usually a slight that uh, Aphrodite is more likely to, to take offense to. Of course, most goddesses would probably take offense to, you know, their beauty being put upon lower than a mortal. But, you know, it's usually associated with Aphrodite. But, anywho, they, the statue of Thetis starts to crumble, her head falls down, and she says, Okay, so, fuck you, you take that back, take it back now. For this, and the thing with my son, you are to be punished. And because of this, and the thing to do with my son, you must give up your daughter. You have 30 days and on the 30th day, the longest day of the year, she must be chained to a rock and sacrificed to the Kraken, or else um, the Kraken will destroy your town like it did the other one. Uh, you have thus been warned. So Perseus is like, okay, how, how do we figure this shit out? How do we kill the Kraken? And the poet's like, well, we, we can't. Like, 
no one can really kill the Kraken. But, well, we might not know, there are a, the, these three witches that might. So, let's go visit them. So, everyone, plus Andromeda, because she decides to tag along, goes to visit the witches. Along the way, whilst getting lost, uh, we cut to the gods, and the gods, or Zeus, turns to Athena and is like, we must give him guidance, because his the helmet got lost in in the uh, in the swamp when he fought fought the guy. So you must give him a replacement gift, and he, she's like, uh, "What?" He's like, "Oh, why your owl? Give him your owl for me, please. It's an order." And so she's like, "Never." So she goes to Hephaestus who she asks to craft a mechanical version of her lovely owl, Bubo. So he does. He, he crafts a very fine Bubo and sends it up on its way to help guide Perseus. And from then on, it shows them the way to the witches. It's the witches, you know, that share one eye. They give him the guidance of, okay, uh... It, because, you know, he steals their eye. He's like, okay, answer my questions. How do we kill the thing? He's like, you can't. He's like, but there must be a way. And they're like, yes, you can kill him. You can kill the Kraken with Medusa's head. So you have to go find and kill Medusa. She's here. She has poisonous blood. Her eyes, no matter if she's alive or dead, will turn people to stone. And he's like, okay, but what the Okay, so the blood. It's super poisonous, right? And they're like, super poisonous. How do we fix that? And they're like, the eye will shield your uh, cloak, I guess. And he's like, you tell the truth? They're like, sure. He's like, okay. Tosses them the eye. And how it shields his cloak or anything? Fuck if I know. He didn't do anything. And he, at the time, didn't have a red cloak. She, but she was like, it, it'll shield your red cloak. It's like, okay. <laughs> so then they leave. And to get to Medusa, they have to go to the Isle of the Dead. I don't know why they have to, but they do, I guess. They go uh, to the River Styx, but uh, the River Styx in this movie looks like the, the fucking Lake Styx. Uh, and also is not in the underworld I guess but they they get the ferryman three chumps join Perseus to go fight Medusa um there's an extended scene where two of them are like one just fucking vanishes I think he's the one that gets initially tackled by the two-headed dog and I guess he's killed it's not really shown all that well but while two of the, the guys are fighting this two-headed wolf thing, Perseus had dropped his sword and is just standing there as a snake is like slowly curling its way around his sword. And it cu keeps cutting between the soldiers fighting the dog and him just like trying to figure out how to get his sword from this snake. It's, it's actually kind of a very funny scene. Eventually he just grabs the sword and like skirts his way around the snake then he goes and helps the two guys with the wolf. Kills it. They journey into the temple and fight Medusa. Uh, one gets shot in the back and 
falls into a pit of acid. Uh, and then one gets um, knocked out of his hiding spot and turned to stone. Perseus uses the reflection in his shield to lure Medusa and to be able to look at her. He decapitates her and moves on. Uh, I, I did forget to mention that at between the the um, the witches and Medusa, uh, he he just straight up ditches the poet and uh, Andromeda, which makes sense because she's supposed to be like the sacrifice. Why she was joining them to to begin with, no clue. Hell, why she went back. I mean, I guess technically the general threat of the town being destroyed is reason enough, but still. Uh, let's see. Then... Where were we? Yeah, so... Then he starts on his way back. He re meets back up with the remainder of his people. Uh, but... Oh, there's Kybor. He goes and he pokes the Medusa head, and the blood drizzles onto the ground and starts growing scorpions like big fuck off scorpions and he chucks Bubo into it into the lake they they fight off the scorpions though all of his men are killed including his friend that he talked to at the at the gate um everyone's killed it's just him the Medusa said he kills Kaibor and Sends Bubo off to retrieve Pegasus, who uh, was kidnapped by Kybor a bit earlier. Uh, Bubo burns down Kybor's hideout. I guess kills the 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 vulture and frees Pegasus and then leaves. And then um, Perseus stumbles into the arena, falls down. Then we cut to the gods, who say, uh, Thetis says, oh, it's the longest day. So he's like, huh, whatever, release the Kraken, I guess. And while he's doing that, as like the other gods turn away, he like reaches back and just like lifts Perseus up. I guess reviving him. And then we watch as Andromeda's prepped, taken out, to be sacrificed, and then the Kraken starts rising. All while Perseus is in a mad dash to to get back to some... I, I don't fully get it, to be honest. Uh, just how far away he is from from the sacrifice. Because from what I could tell, the, the theater that he is in is supposed to be like in or at least very close to the town uh, that the princess resides over. But instead, I guess it's super far away because he's booking it along, I guess. He gets there, gets knocked out of the sky, swims, Bubo brings him the head, he takes out the head, freezes the the Kraken, the Kraken falls apart, and dies. They get married happily ever after. And, <laughs> and as a little punctuation to the movie, Zeus is like, um... They get to live happily ever after. No one take revenge upon him. He's a good boy. He did good. Leave him alone. Uh, and the, the poet says, like, oh, this would make a good play. 
or a good poem or play or something. And he's like, oh, don't worry. I'll make sure that you're in it, boobo. Basically, it's supposed to be a little wink and a nod to the, to the fact that it's a movie. But yeah, so that's that. That is Clash of the Titans, the original 80s Clash of the Titans. It is, to me, it will always have a special place in my heart. It, uh, the special effects are done by Ray Harryhausen, so they're all stop-motion, like, kind of claymation-y things. I just love them. They're great. And I would highly recommend you seek out uh, Ray Harryhausen stuff. Uh, they're lovely. <laughs> um, it's a fun movie. The plot can be a little bit disjointed at times because it'll jump from it'll jump around a bit like he'll like look off into the distance and then all of a sudden it's nighttime and he's sneaking into the princess's room or and then you have that weird sequence where she's getting picked up by a vulture and then he he takes off the helmet and then he's you cut away and he's now talking to the poet and then he he's off this way and that way you know just it, there's no real journey a lot of the time. But it, it it reminds me a lot of Krull, in a way, where you're just kind of getting pulled along the story because it's like, we have to get to places. And the movie is kind of split into two parts. There's the, the initial saving of Princess Andromeda and then the secondary saving of Princess Andromeda. Because the first half of the film, literally like the first hour, is just the introduction... Plus him fighting off, you know, freeing her from Kybor. Then he, the the rest of the film is him trying to save her from the fact that she's now been deemed to be sacrificed. And I think, yeah, overall it's it's pretty good. He's a bit arrogant and a bit, I guess, himbo-y. <laughs> He doesn't have a whole lot going on up here. He literally loses every gift he's given, save for Bubo, and that's just because Bubo is the one thinking in the group. <laughs> like, he loses the helmet in the swamp, because he just doesn't think to look for it after he takes the guy's hand. He loses the shield to Medusa's blood. It, like, melts in Medusa's blood. Then he loses the sword when he's fighting Kybor. Uh, he, I think when he just stabs him, he just loses the sword. Uh, then, then yeah, he's given Bubo. He almost loses Bubo, but Bubo's fine. Because Bubo is the hero of the story. <laughs> um, but yeah, he, he, he's not the brightest bulb in, in the shed. As for, like, the mythology inaccuracies, you can kind of glance over them and ignore them for the most part. They can be a little bit glaring at times, but it's a it's a dumb, fun movie that you just turn your brains off for. And they weren't exactly going for accuracy in the 80s <laughs> for, like, Greek mythology. And technically, it's a hell of a lot more accurate than the 2010 Clash of the Titans, where... I think they pretty much take the entire Andromeda plot, which is like the main plot of this film, and makes it like a side thing. 
And I think they just completely fuck off Kaibor. They're like, who? Gone. <laughs> and they turn it into like a, a pretense for for a war with the gods. And then it sets up the sequel, Wrath of the Titans, which I, I think is supposed to be like a full-on Titan war. I think, I can't remember. I'll, I will talk about those films some point. I don't know if it'll be anytime soon, but I, I do want to come back to them at some point. But do I recommend the classic 80s Clash of the Titans? Absolutely. I know that a lot of younger people would probably look at the special effects and kind of go, what? And the general kind of slow-ish pace of the plot and go, ugh. But give it a chance. The, the special effects, especially when you learn about the effort that goes into them, are f like phenomenal and great and fun, and I love them. They're cheesy, dumb fun, and I just can't get enough. <laughs> I do like the fact that Kaibor is both played by a guy in a suit, but also has a full stop motion model whenever you're doing like a full body shot of it. It's like the Jurassic Park method. You know, all of the close up shots are these like super detailed things, but if it's anything full body, that shit's gonna be CGI. <laughs> or in the original version of Jurassic Park, stop motion. But yeah. I do recommend it. Give it a chance. It's a good old classic. If you want a good example of stop motion um, special effects, give it a go. Another one that is like classic is supposed to be like Jason and the Argonauts. I really want to want to watch Jason and the Argonauts sometime. See, I, I still have plenty of good old classic Greek mythology movies to, to watch at some point, And I am pumped to do that eventually. Anywho, though, I guess we should leave it there. Next week will be Avatar The Last Airbender Book 2. But, before we get into that, it's update time, baby! It's a relatively short update this week, because I'm still reading Outbound Flight. <laughs> yeah, so, while doing the job for for my adventure as I like to call it, I had no time. I would I would get back to the cabin and I would either pass out immediately or I would exchange some pleasantries with the person I was working with uh, and then I would pass the fuck out or try my best to. I was just never in the mood to read or watch anything because I was so tired. And even when I had some extra time, I, I tried my best to push as hard as I could to read the book. But it's kind of hard when you feel like your brain's melting. Anywho, that's done though. The adventure's over. I don't have to whisper in a closet to record episodes or parts of episodes anymore. <laughs> Yay. At least until the next adventure, whenever that may be, I've earned some money. Yay. <laughs> Check. I did a thing. But anywho, with, with, with that done, I now have time to properly crank stuff out. But, as you might guess... I am now a full 
like book behind. Because this past week I was supposed to read Sun and the Stars. And the week before that was supposed to be Outbound Flight. I'm still on Outbound Flight. So the plan for this week is I am going to do something that's terrible for me. But I'm going to try and read all three books this week. I might leak into next week, but as long as I can get both Outbound Flight... Sun and the Star finished, and then Throne of Fire started, I'm happy. Because then I've, I've at least caught up, and then I'm only eating a little bit into next week to finish the Throne of Fire. With that, I'll be okay. I'll be happy. Otherwise, um, yeah, it's going to be rough. <laughs> Otherwise, it's going to be a bit more of a stretched out catch-up, but I will catch up. It'll probably burn me out again like it did last time, but I have to try my best to get caught up. Fingers crossed. As for how I am feeling about Outbound Flight, my opinion has improved as the plots are starting to finally kind of mesh together. It's over half, I'm over halfway through the book, and the plots are just now kind of meshing together. <laughs> Lightly. Uh, the plot of the the guy who feels who's like a he's like a a triple a triple agent technically because he's he's working for Palpatine and he's working for Sidious who are the same person uh, but he doesn't know that Palpatine and Sidious are the same person so he feels like he's betraying the one person but he's not technically because he's actually working for that person. Uh, but anywho, that aside, the, the, the best part of the book is the Thrawn stuff. I'm not a big fan of how Timothy Zahn writes Jedi, really. The, the way he write, talks about the Force is kind of weird. It's similar to, like, how a lot of people describe the Force, but not quite the same. Because, I don't know, when I... When most people talk about the Force, it's just, like, they're kind of normal people, but they're able to do extraordinary things through the Force. In this case, Timothy Zahn talks about the Jedi as if they, through their training, they've become pretty much superhuman or super beings that, that also use the Force. So, like, through training, they're able to jump super high and run super fast and whatnot. But they're able to make it even more extraordinary through the Force. Like, Obi-Wan's like, oh, you know, jumping up this wall would be kind of hard. But if I, like, augment my jumps with the Force, I can get up. And it's just him describing doing a, a wall jump. Like, jumping from wall to wall to get up a thing. A thing normal ass people can do without the force. <laughs> I don't know. It, it's weird. But. But yeah. Like. The Obi-Wan stuff is okay. The. The. The Padawan stuff is alright. She becomes a full blown Jedi. But doesn't feel like she deserves it. And still gets pulled along. The. The, <laughs> the Jedi that she. Uh 
apprenticed for or was the Padawan of, she like like he 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 should not be a Jedi. He is pretty much trying to he he tried to force this thing outbound flight to be a thing, and he got it. And now he's trying to exert control over the ship because he feels that Jedi should be in control because they got the power. So why shouldn't they be in control? They can use it for good. And then Obi-Wan's just like, but dude, that's a slippery slope. And he's like, I don't think it is. <laughs> I think it's fine. And I'm going to exert my power anyway. And it's like, how has this guy not been like flagged as like potential Sith material since day one? Because the dude has had a arrogance and superiority complex constantly like throughout the entire book like his whole thing is like one of his, his key traits is he'll like walk through a crowd and he you know he says that he times it to where he knows he won't hit anyone but at the same time he fully expects for people to get the fuck out of his way like and he does not care that if for example he were to run into them he does not care. But, yeah. Otherwise, that's kind of the story. I mean, and of course I still have half the book-ish to read. Like, less than half the book, but still around there. But, so far, it's it's pretty good. It's not terrible. It's just I need to properly sit down and read it. In fact, right now I'm in the middle of, like, a space battle. And it's actually really interesting but I need to properly sit down and read it in order to properly uh, do it. My my goal is to finish Outbound Flight by Monday, finish Sun of the Stars by Wednesday, and then try and finish Throne of Fire by Sunday. So a week from when I'm recording this. Is the hope. But we'll see. <laughs> Otherwise... That's that. So thank you guys so much for listening. If you guys enjoy this, please feel free to give it a like, comment, and subscribe on the YouTube end of things. Or feel free to rate, comment, um, share it with your friends and whatnot on the other side of things. On whatever podcast catcher you choose. But yeah, with that said, thank you guys so much for listening. I will talk to you guys later. Goodbye. <laughs>